What does the word namaste mean? Often you hear Hindus greet one another with that word, and quite often you hear it at the beginning of a yoga class between the students and the teacher. But what does namaste really mean? Find out on this episode of Revealing the True Light. There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. What is the meaning of the Hindu greeting, Namaste? In fact, usually you hear yoga advocates using that at the beginning of a yoga class. Or New Agers quite often in greeting each other will say, Namaste. Well, what does that mean? It means, I bow to the divine in you. I bow to the divine in you. Is that a correct stance? Is that a correct theological view? Well, for a Hindu, it would mean something quite different than a Christian. A Christian greeting another Christian would believe that God is within both of their hearts, but not in the same way that a Hindu or a New Ager believes. See, uh, it's a different worldview. It's based on a different belief system altogether. It's based on pantheism. Pantheism is the idea that everything is a manifestation of God. It comes from two root words, pantheos, all is God. And most Hindus, over 50% of Hindus, believe in what is called Advaita Vedanta Hinduism. That's the belief of this particular mindset that you are a manifestation of God. I am a manifestation of God. Everything in the material universe is a manifestation of God. The universal self, the oversoul, called Brahman in Hinduism. And so, if I say namaste, I'm acknowledging that you are God in manifestation. I am God in manifestation. Not only that, it's an acknowledgement of an individual evolution toward godhood, that I'm acknowledging you are a potential god or goddess, and that I am a potential god, because as my soul evolves through reincarnation, through thousands of rebirths, eventually I come into this deityship, if you will. Well, of course, as a Christian, I do not believe that. And so, Even though I appreciate the kind gesture, the slight bow, the palms together, and the greeting, namaste, I couldn't come into agreement with that greeting without actually verifying or validating that belief system. Let me show you a little bit more about the basis of belief behind that practice. Swami Muktananda was a very popular and charismatic guru back in 1970 when I studied yoga and taught it at four universities and ran a yoga ashram. Thousands upon thousands of Westerners flocked to India to hear him teach and to hopefully get what they called an awakening of the Kundalini. 
which is a supposed swift way or quick way of coming into God consciousness. And supposedly, Muktananda had the power to just touch you, and it would awaken that power. Now, I have a different interpretation of that myself now. But first and foremost, I want you to hear a quote from Muktananda. He said, kneel to your own self, honor and worship your own being, meditate on your own self. God dwells with you as you. See what an absolutely polar opposite that is to a biblical point of view. I have a dear friend who is now a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who actually lived in Swami Muktananda's ashram in India for over two decades, trying to achieve what is called God consciousness, which is this full awareness that you are God. That's absolutely the opposite of the truth. Let me show you the biblical point of view. In Psalm 8, verses 4 and 5, in the New King James Version, it says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with honor and glory. Now, unfortunately, I do not believe that is the best translation of the original Hebrew. If you'll notice on the screen, right after the word angels is the Hebrew word Elohim. Well, Elohim is translated over 2,000 times into the word God and over 200 times into the plural word gods. But it's only translated angels one time in the Old Testament. I believe it's actually a mistranslation. Let me take you to a version, the NAU version, that actually renders it as I believe it should be rendered. What is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God. That's what the Bible teaches. You crown him with glory and honor, but you've made him a little lower than God. Yes, man is on a high pinnacle as far as a comparison with all the other aspects of creation. And certainly he's on a level that is preeminent compared to other aspects of the creation, other beings, other things God has made, the uh, the angels, the cherubim, the seraphim, etc. But the Bible never says we are God. If you make that statement, you're making a very bold statement because if you say we are God, that includes the most wicked and the most righteous of the human race. It includes the Adolf Hitlers, and the Billy Grahams. It, it, it goes from one extreme opposite to the other. And if you attribute divinity to mankind, you must attribute sinfulness to God. Because if we are all God, then everyone in this world, the robber, the thief, the, the rapist, the murderer, they are manifestations of God, just like the saintly and godly people. So that doesn't even make sense logically, much less theologically. So we've been made a little lower than God. What does that mean? Because in the Christian worldview, if you are born again, at that point, the Spirit of God enters into you. 
Quite the opposite is the Hindu belief that there's a spark of divinity within every human being. So to find God, you look within. Well, I tried that. I tried that passionately. I tried that via, uh, very, uh, very dedicated, consecrated to all the various practices like chanting mantras and meditating and reading all the Eastern scriptures and everything that was a yogic necessity in order to achieve this mindset, this revelation, this self-realization. And I came to the conclusion that it didn't work, especially the day I encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I invited him to come into my heart for the first time in my life, the Spirit of God entered into me. And I knew, wait a second, this is different. Because only if you believe that God exists apart from the physical universe can he remain untainted by the evil that is here. If he's apart from the physical universe, then the source of evil in this world is not God. The source of evil in this world is, number one, a fallen angel named Satan, and number two, a fallen man named Adam who passed on that fallen state to all of his offspring. Otherwise, God would have to have evil attributed to him, and that's a completely unacceptable way of looking at it. Now, let me show you the Christian worldview, and again, this is dependent on the experience of being born again. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. The New Age view is that there is a Christ nature within every human being. We are all potential Christ. We are all potential Buddhas. But Jesus, quite the opposite, said, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man open the door, I will come into him. And so there's a definite point where Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the only time that God was ever manifested in this world, and then he comes into your heart, that's when you receive the indwelling presence of God. And he expresses that in John chapter 14, verse 23, which I'm about to quote now. He said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. There's a huge difference between God making his home with you, your heart becomes his temple, his dwelling place, and the claim, the audacious claim that you are actually God in manifestation. Only Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. He desires to make his home in you, but you cannot rob him of a position and a status that only he can claim. Let me take you to another scripture. This is in John chapter 15, verse 4, and it's a beautiful passage. You should read the first eight verses that deal with this whole concept of Jesus being a vine and his believers being branches. He said, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, neither can you, except you abide in me. Now, let me read the rest of the scripture. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. 
For without me you can do nothing. And then this is a very important verse, verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. A withered branch has no life in it. So that in itself indicates that the Hindu worldview and the Christian worldview are not compatible. Because the Hindu worldview, the New Age worldview, says that there's a spark of divinity and of divine life within every human being. But Jesus said it's predicated on whether or not we abide in him. First, he comes into us. He abides in us. We surrender to him. He comes into our hearts. But then we abide in him, which means we live as recognizing constantly, daily, that he is the head of our lives. We are in him. And if we are in him, we're submitted to his will. And he said, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burnt. So we can assume, therefore, we can deduce from all of this information that in the Christian worldview, it is not acceptable to use that word namaste nor that greeting because it declares something altogether different than what a bible believer actually accepts see when i was a new ager there were several groups that were very much into making the statement i am i am that i am they used a name that god gave himself in the burning bush experience with moses Moses said, well, who shall I say has sent me when I go to the Israelite people? And I tell them that God's going to bring them out of Egypt. Who shall I say has sent me? And God said, tell them that I am has sent you. Well, what does that phrase I am mean? It denotes infinite existence, eternally in the past, eternally in the future, occupying the past, present, and future in one divine moment. That's what is communicated by the words, I am, God said, I am that I am. In other words, I am self-existent. I'm not dependent on any outside source of life. Well, for a human being to make that statement would be blasphemous to say I am. And yet there are those who have channeled supposed ascended masters like St. Germain that teach that this is the way you awaken your own divine nature. No, it's a way you make a major mistake theologically. See, if you'll go back to the beginning, the very start, Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, yes, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That is God's desire that we reflect his image, that we reflect his likeness, that we reflect his character, that we take on his nature. Yes, but not at the expense of trying to assume his position, which is what Satan did. You can read Isaiah chapter 14, and Satan said, I will ascend up above the stars. I will be like the Most High. Well, he said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. In other words, he wanted to be the supreme creator himself. And of course he fell. God said, no, you shall be thrust down to hell to the sides of the pit, which is a reference to Gehenna, the bottomless pit. 
So Satan attempted to do that, and because he fell, then he funneled that same kind of temptation into Adam and Eve. He told Eve, you shall be as Elohim, knowing good and evil. Now, some of your Bible translations render that you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. But I don't believe Eve would have related to that. She'd never heard of a false god, a quote-unquote deity, other than the true God. And so I believe the correct rendering of Elohim in that statement was, you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. Well, is it wrong to want to be like God? No, because he wants us to be like him. He doesn't want us to usurp his position, but he wants us to be like him. But he also wants us to take the right path in achieving that goal. I don't think it was altogether bad that Eve wanted to be like God. Her sin was she took a path that was not the one God instituted. It was not the one God created for her in order to reflect his character or become like him. She took the path that was demonically inspired, satanically inspired. And really, there are thousands and millions of good Hindus and good-hearted New Agers and yoga advocates that really have a passion to be better individuals that want to be like God, but they're taking the wrong path to get there, just like Eve did in the beginning. And the very fact that they use this word namaste as an acknowledgement of the belief system they embrace is an indication they're on the wrong path. Because see, God is separate from human beings, and we have to be reunited with him. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, God prophesied of what would happen after the new covenant was birthed into this world, which could not take place until Jesus died on the cross to provide the blood that would wash us clean from our sin. And the prophet Ezekiel said that in that day when God brings forth this new covenant, now this is the quoted part, he said, I will put a new spirit in you and I will put my spirit in you and I will give you a new heart. So God is promising the time yet to come when his spirit will come into us and give us a new spirit. And with that new spirit, we can become proper containers of the presence of God. Remember, Quite a long time ago in this podcast, I gave you John 14, 23, where Jesus said, I will come to you. My Father will come to you, and we will make our home with you. God wants that. See, the ultimate end of this Hindu worldview and this New Age mindset is much different than the ultimate end of a Christian worldview, a biblical mindset. Let me quote to you out of my book, in Search of the True Light. If you haven't gotten a copy of this book, you need to. In the chapter where I deal with this particular idea, at the end of the chapter, I give two quotes from some great writers that have a lot of good apologetic literature. In fact, uh, their names are Norman Geisler and Ronald Brooks. And in a book that they wrote that's in my library, they said this, God cannot bud he cannot blossom. God has always been in full bloom. That is, God is and always has been God. Well, this is referencing the idea that God is expressing himself in human beings, but he's not fully aware, fully cognizant of the fact that he is God 
in the evolution of what that individual soul is going through. Another quote from them. The fact that a man comes to realize he is God proves that he is not God. If he were God, he would never have to pass from a state of unenlightenment to a state of enlightenment as to who he is. That makes a lot of sense to me. If you and I really were God, we would never have to be awakened to the realization that we are God. But we can be sons and daughters of God in whom he dwells. And so that's the meaning of the word namaste. Now, if somebody greets me with that word, how am I going to respond? Because usually it's accompanied by a very loving look, a very gentle and meek and humble bow. So would it be wrong for me to respond in a similar fashion? Well, I wouldn't mind clasping my hands. For me, that means a prayerful mode. I wouldn't bow because I don't believe in bowing to anyone but God. And yet I would smile with kindness, and I would probably respond to namaste with the statement, well, God bless you. I pray that the true God will reveal himself to you. And then you respond to kindness with kindness, but you don't acknowledge or validate a wrong belief in the process. Well, I hope this has been helpful to you, and certainly you'll learn a whole lot more about all of these issues if you order my book, In Search of the True Light. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.